welcome everyone to Mosaic Christian Fellowship. Uh, we're so glad to, to worship with you. If you're here for the first time, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's so good to see you. And it's good to see a lot of you back uh, for the first time in a long time worshiping with us. And praise God uh, for having us all gathered together as things are changing. Um, uh, we just want to welcome especially those um, who have not been to church in a long time. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today's scripture reading, it comes from 1 John. If you turn in your Bibles, we'll also have it on the screen here. Uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, we're going to read from verses 5 to 7, just those three verses, and we'll get started like that. So if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, here's verse 5 of 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him, and we proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We're in the middle of a three-part series called Church Reclaimed. And um, I like that word reclaimed. Uh, This is the second one. Next week is the last one. And I like that word reclaimed because of a couple of different reasons. One, reclaimed reminds us that it's ours, that the church is something that we should claim. It's something that was given to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And reclaim tells us that it's something that belongs to the church. You don't discover um, something that is yours. I mean, I guess you could, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's yours. When we reclaim the church, we remember our church. We remember that it's ours. Secondly, why I like the word reclaim is it's really intentional. There's an intentionality to it. It's very active, um, if you think about it. It's different than um, the word rediscover because you could discover something by stumbling onto something by accident, um, not really intentionally, but when you reclaim something, it's something that you fight for. It's, it's an effort that you put forward. And I think that in this season, during the pandemic, it's a very appropriate word for us to reclaim the church. And it's especially appropriate today for the topic that we're going to be talking about today, which is fellowship. Uh, the thing that we need to reclaim as a church in the fellowship of believers. It's something that we need to remember that is ours, and we need to also remember that it's something that we need to extend ourselves to reclaim together. And so I want to ask you, when I say the word fellowship, what do you think of? Maybe uh, you think of the time that we spend after church talking to one another, and that's fellowship time. Or maybe if you come from an immigrant, immigrant church context, maybe uh, fellowship was the time that after service you went downstairs and you ate together uh, with the church. That was the fellowship time. Um, If you're coming from kind of a a larger church, maybe in the West, it brings up ideas of uh, something more programmatic. They have fellowship events, and you sign up for it, and you come and you partake in the fellowship event. Uh, What does fellowship mean to you? It's something that we need to reclaim because, actually, I think there's a potency to real biblical fellowship that we've lost, that we remember more kind of watered-down versions of what fellowship is. And today we need to reclaim what biblical fellowship is. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And then we're going to have a testimony uh, from two of our brothers and sisters here at our church. And so two things I want to say um, regards to this sermon and in Acts 2 is one, fellowship is something that is special and unique to the church that is not in any other organization, any other group in this world. It's special, supernatural, and we need to relearn 
what our unique fellowship is. Relearn it. And then secondly, we have to fight for it. We have to relearn what our special fellowship is, and then we have to fight for it in the church. And when we do that, we actually reclaim what God has given to us in the church that is different than in every other place in this world. So I want to ask you to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to help us as we look at his word together. Father, we bow our heads because this is not something that we can just learn like a class. Father, we come to you with our heads bowed because this is something that we need the Spirit to do in our hearts, to change the composition of what's in our heart. And we can't do that. I mean, I can't do that. And we just pray that the Holy Spirit would help us now as we receive your word. That is something that you do in our hearts now as we come to worship you and hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If we want to reclaim fellowship, the first thing we need to do is relearn what it is. And if we look in 1 John 5 to 7 again, we see the special nature of what we have as a church. Let's read it again. In verse 5, it says this. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship is one of those things in the church that can become so diluted. And so we have to extend ourselves to really understand what it means again. The word fellowship that John uses here is the word koinonia. And you might have heard of that Greek word before. Um, and it's, it's hard to describe because there's so much in that word koinonia that we have to use a lot of English words to try to pack in the description, the Greek meaning of what it is. Um, we pack in words like uh, unity and commonality, community, and all those things because the Greek word koinonia is so um, deep and rich, it's hard for us to understand with just one English word. And just like last week we learned the word ecclesia, church, And we saw that ecclesia, that word existed before Jesus came. Koinonia also existed before Jesus came. In fact, Greek philosophers were talking about this term uh, koinonia for hundreds of years before Jesus came. It was something that was sought after, that's something that they dreamed of. In fact, if any of you have read Aristotle's uh, very key uh, treatise on politics and how to design a society, it was called Politics by Aristotle. He describes the polis, the city, the society that he's looking for, that the Greek people should be striving for. And when Aristotle, hundreds of years before Jesus, describes the unique, harmonious, secular community that the Greeks should strive for, he says, we can really only have this if we have a very special kind of relationship with one another in the Greek square called koinonia. Aristotle wrote it hundreds of years ago, before it was in our Bible. And what it meant was that the Greek people, Aristotle said, if this is going to work, then we have to have a shared purpose, a shared vision, a commonality, a sharing with one another. That's unlike anything we've ever seen. If we're really going to put together this secular, beautiful, harmonious Greek polis, then we're going to need koinonia. Aristotle wrote about it. The Greek philosophers dreamed about it. The politicians, they strove to try to achieve it, but they never got it. Never happened. 
The Greek city-states, they, they sought after it, but it never came about until Jesus Christ comes and he gives us life and resurrects. And then there's a small group of people that they thought were Jews, but they come together and they look into this society. And all of a sudden in Acts 2, they see koinonia in this weird little group of people called the church. And if you look in Acts 2, you see that there. If you remember um, the story of King Arthur, um, based on, you know, no one really knows if he really existed or not, but uh, the Disney movie Sword in the Stone, it kind of describes the story of King Arthur, and it's loosely based on these stories off of these old English tales um, in Merlin. Um, and it's kind of composed together and brought together to bring this movie about. But the basic story is that there's this king and queen, King Uther and Queen Igraine. And uh, both of the king and, and the queen, they die, leaving their young son vulnerable, but leaving the son to inherit the throne to England or Britannia. Merlin the magician sees that this young son, Arthur, is uh, in a very vulnerable place. He's too young. He could be assassinated. Someone could come and assassinate him, try to take the throne. And so magician Merlin takes Arthur and brings him to a faraway place where Arthur actually ends up getting adopted uh, by a, a different family. It's kind of a common theme in our fairy tales. Merlin, unbeknownst to anybody, after he moves Arthur away, he comes to the city square and he establishes a stone. In some stories, it's an anvil. In some stories, it's a, a marble slab. And inside of it is this sword. It's a sword in the stone, and on the handle of the sword it says, whoever removes this sword from the stone is the true king and the son of King Uther. The people come and they look into the city square and all the mightiest, strongest men try to pull this sword out of the stone. Of course, they're trying to get the throne. And everyone tries, and the biggest and strongest and courageous people try to get the sword out of the stone. In fact, they hold tournaments to try to get the sword out of the stone. And nobody can do it. It doesn't budge. Until it is, of course, one day Arthur comes into the city square and he just gives it a shot. And he pulls the sword out of the stone. And the people are astonished that he could do this because here is this young lad, this scrawny boy, who could pull the stone out of a sword, the sword out of the stone, the sword that so many men tried to pull out. In fact, in some versions of the story, it says that the people don't believe that he did it, and they ask him to do it again. And so he just puts it back in, and he pulls it back out. And everyone is astonished that this young boy can pull the sword out of the stone. Now, why is it that Arthur, this young boy, can pull this sword out of the stone when nobody else could, despite all their effort and trials? It's because magician Merlin put a spell on the sword and the stone, that only Arthur could do it. You see, it was something supernatural. It wasn't something that could be achieved by strength or might or effort. It could only be done by the supernatural power that Merlin put in the sword. Koinonia is the sword and the stone. Koinonia is what everyone was trying with all of their might to try to achieve in the Greek society. Aristotle said we need koinonia in order for us to achieve this kind of relationship, society, commonality. Aristotle wrote about it. The philosophers dreamed about it. The politicians tried it. They couldn't find it. They couldn't pull the sword out of the stone because everything that they tried, 
it was basically based on fleshly desires. How do you get people to do things? How do you get a society to do that? Well, you have to incentivize them. You have to manipulate them. It wasn't what Aristotle was thinking about. He was thinking about a kind of relationship that didn't require manipulation or incentives. He was thinking about something called koinonia. Nobody could find it. The sword remained in the stone until one day, when you look in Acts 2, Jesus Christ puts together a community of people from out of this world called the church. And when you look at Acts 2, this is what it reads. Let's read Acts 2 together from verse 42. It says this. The world looks into the church, and this is what they find. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They weren't incentivized to do so. They weren't manipulated to do so. They were together and had everything in common. And they even sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Koinonia, achieved by this very, very unlikely little tiny group of people that they supposed were Jews. The Greek powers tried to achieve it, and all of a sudden there's a small group of people who actually have it in this world. And it brought all and wonder to all those who were around them. They pulled the sword out of the stone. They achieved koinonia in a time when everybody was looking for it. But it wasn't done through might and effort. It wasn't done through incentives or manipulation. It was done because they had something supernatural. And it wasn't Merlin's spell. It was the grace of the gospel brought down from Jesus Christ into this community that made it special in this world. And their relationship with one another was unlike anything they had ever seen in this world. That's koinonia. And that's why John, in our passage today, makes such pains to try to be really specific about what we are supposed to have in our church. Sometimes we think that fellowship is this generic, watered-down thing, kind of like friendship, but just inside the church. But John is making pains to help us to know that's not what I'm talking about. Here, he uses the word if to help us to really understand and define what it is. And um, if is really helpful because it tells us what something is not and what something is. If you've ever been sent on a supermarket mission by your spouse or for a member of your family and they say, look, when you get there, I want a very specific thing, a specific brand. And when you go to the supermarket, if it has a red thing in the corner, that's not it. And if it has a blue label, that's not it. But if it has a green leaf, Right there, that's it. For me, when I go on supermarket missions, things like that are really, really helpful because there's so many choices and there's so many things that you can get confused by, distracted by. You think it's this and you think it's this, but it's not this and not this, but it is this. That's what John is doing in our passage. He says, I know you think that fellowship is this. You might think fellowship is that, but I'm telling you, it's something very, very specific. And he says, That's why if we walk in the darkness in our life, if we walk in the darkness and then we come into the church and we have church friends, and he says, and then you say that you have fellowship with one another, you lie 
That's not it. If you walk in the darkness and, and you don't have this desire to walk with Jesus and then you come into the church and you know people and you hang out with them, so that's not fellowship. That's not koinonia. It's something very specific that he wants to let us know. In verse 7, this is what he says. Here it is. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Isn't that interesting? He defines our fellowship with one another, not necessarily on what we have with each other, but he defines our fellowship with one another based upon what we have with him. If we have fellowship with him and we walk in the light, then when we come together, we have fellowship with one another. Then you have koinonia. Then you have something out of this world. Then you can pull the sword out of the stone. You have something that this world doesn't have. That's koinonia. You might have friends at church, and that's great that you have friends at church, but if they're just friends, and you don't see, when you look into their eyes, someone who's pursuing Jesus Christ, someone who is walking after the light, in the light, pursuing the kingdom, making sacrifices, seeing that there's something more than being comfortable in Bergen County and having kids and having them be in good schools, and you, see, you don't see something supernatural in their pursuit of Jesus. You guys might be friends, but you don't have koinonia. They might be your golf buddies. Your kids might go to school together, but you don't have koinonia. You see, John is being really specific because even in his day, fellowship got watered down and diluted to something that they thought was koinonia and they settled for it. But John says, well, if you don't walk with Jesus and then you come into the fellowship and you call, you call that koinonia, we lie because it's not. Koinonia, brothers and sisters, is when we pursue Jesus in our lives, when we walk in the light and then we come together and we have that fellowship with one another. We need to relearn koinonia if we're going to reclaim it. If we're going to reclaim the church and remember who we are and the uniqueness of what we're supposed to be, we do have to reclaim this, brothers and sisters, for ourselves. We cannot settle for something that's not koinonia. You see, it's something supernatural that we're supposed to have with one another. In the midst of the pandemic, you might have forgotten what we're supposed to have. What we're supposed to have with one another is supposed to confound social scientists, where they look into the church and say, they're not incentivized, they're not manipulated, but they sacrifice for one another, and they're running with one another. Why is that happening? It's a sword in the stone. It's something supernatural. We have to reclaim it, rediscover it, relearn it, and then we have to fight for it. We have to fight for this. You see, just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's easy. Some of us think that if something is supernatural, then it should be easy, like when Spider-Man discovers his powers and he could just jump leaps and bounds, and we think, oh, it's easy for him. But if you ask Spider-Man, He'll tell you that with my supernatural powers came supernatural enemies. I never heard of Dr. Octopus before I became Spider-Man. No one tried to kill me from outer space until I discovered my supernatural powers. And in the same way, brothers and sisters, when you discover true koinonia, Satan will be after you. He doesn't care if you just have friends. 
He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you just want to go together and you want to just hang out and you want to play golf. It's okay. But if you pursue koinonia, he will come after you because he wants to dilute and destroy the koinonia of Jesus Christ on this earth because it's a witness to this world, and we'll get to that soon. But if you want to pursue this, my brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it, you will have enemies coming after you. You will have opposition to koinonia. And we will have to fight for it. You will have to fight for it. Your life will in some ways become harder if you pursue koinonia instead of just having church friends. You see, if you really want to pursue that, um, that relationship with each other, now all of a sudden you're in opposition to a different kind of koinonia, and that's going to make you an enemy to Satan. When you read the New Testament, there are two kinds of fellowship. There's a fellowship with the Spirit, which we have together in Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says there's another kind of fellowship, which is fellowship with the world, where actually the things that you really care about, the things that you really desire, the things that you are willing to sacrifice for are just worldly things. It's fellowship with the world. And you can have that kind of fellowship too. And in James 4, he talks about that. The people in the churches of James, they're fighting and there's all this tension going on at the church and James is saying, well, it's because you have fellowship with the world. And that's why you have enmity at church. Let me read it for you. James 4, verse 1, it says this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask because, or you do not ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, he says, don't you know that there are two fellowships? There's fellowship with the Spirit, where we see each other and we pursue Jesus together, and we see the sacrifice for the kingdom as something that is in our heartbeat. We're willing to sacrifice even the comfort of our children to pursue Christ. We have that fellowship in the Spirit, but don't you know there's another fellowship? a fellowship with the world, a fellowship with the devil himself. And he says, and if you walk in the darkness and really all you want are the things of the world and then you come into the church, any wonder why you guys are fighting in the church? He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? There's a really stern warning to us, brothers and sisters. Fellowship is not just eating pizza after church. Fellowship is something deeply spiritual in us that we have with one another or we have with the world. Now, how does this play out in the church? Um, I want to give you this kind of analogy of a ship that was given to us by Scott Riddout. He's the president of Converge Worldwide. And I struggled whether I would share this with you guys or not because, uh, you know, my purpose in doing this is not to put you in a category and to call you out and things like that. But my purpose is to help us to realize where our heart is now and to be drawn to fellowship with the Spirit. So if this sounds a little bit harsh, please forgive me, but that's not the intention. The intention is to help us to wake up to what God is calling us to. But Scott Riddout, he says that there are four kinds of people in any kind of church in this room. 
four kinds of people in any kind of church. The first kind of people that you will find is the crew. And the crew are the people who are willing to walk towards koinonia with you, to run towards koinonia and to fight with you and to row with you towards that destination. Here, let me just read it for you. The crew in your church are the people who are working with you to accomplish the mission of the church, koinonia, making disciples. They are your key volunteers that buy into your, the values, direction, and destination of your church. They work hard to bring everyone who attends to maturity in Christ. They're in line with what Jesus is doing. They're in line with um, that godly passion that church leadership has. That's the crew working towards koinonia together. But not everybody's a crew. The crew is willing to move in the destination and willing to fight for it, but there's also passengers in every church, he says. The passengers are the people who want to go there, who want to go towards koinonia, who want... I love being a part of a church that does disciple-making. Awesome. But I don't want to do anything. He says that the people who are passengers are the people who want to go but are not willing to fight. He says the passengers on a ship differ from the crew in one major area. They also love the destination and want to get there, but they don't pitch in to help. Passengers are just along for the ride. They enjoy the experience of the cruise, but don't offer assistance or support. They are the ultimate church consumer. Thirdly, not only do you have the crew and the passengers, but you also have pirates. Pirates are people who don't want to go in that destination, and they're willing to fight you to make sure you don't get there. Pirates seek to hijack the vessel, seek to steal its cargo and force the ship in a different direction. Like the crew, they work hard, but unlike the crew, they haven't bought into the destination. Their goal is to create mutiny and steer the ship where they want it to go. Nearly every church has pirates. They're usually good people, but they never got on board with the mission or direction of the church. Their words, attitudes, influence, and actions seek to bring the church in a different direction than the one leadership has established. And lastly, not only do you have crew who are rowing with you, passengers along for the ride, pirates fighting against you, but you also have stowaways. Stowaways. These are the people who don't really care where the church is going, don't really care about koinonia, and they're not willing to do anything. Stowaways are not interested in where the ship is going or helping to get there. They just want to escape. So they secretly hop on and hide in the lower regions of the ship. They stay out of sight and try to go undetected until the ship lands. They need healing, but they won't seek it out. Stowaways actually are broken people who need healing, but they won't seek it out. Their top priority is just to survive. They go in a different direction. They want to escape their current reality and go anyplace new. Again, this is not a witch hunt to figure out which one you are and to blame you and to call you out. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ has a very specific destination for his church. He has a very specific kind of fellowship he's called us to, a koinonia, that brings us together and is supernatural in this world. And if we want that, then we need to fight for it. Because Jesus Christ in his gospel, has fought for it for us. You see, before we were tempted to have this superficial church thing, Jesus was tempted first. He was tempted by Satan when he came to earth, and Satan told him, why don't you just come with me? Why don't you just come fellowship with me? Then I'll give you the glory, I'll give you the power, I'll give you the comfort. 
And you don't have to die on a cross. Remember in the wilderness, this was Satan whispering in Jesus' ear, why don't you just fellowship with me and I'll get you the glory and everything that you're looking for and you don't have to die. What kind of son of a king dies? You don't have to die. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to fight. Come with me. Jesus Christ refuses and fights in order to create the koinonia that could never have been created if he gave in to fellowship with the world. See, Jesus in John, he says, unless the kernel of wheat dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, and brothers and sisters, he's first talking about him going to the cross. If I die, it will bear much fruit. Unless he died, there will be no koinonia for us. If he gave in to fellowship with the world, there will be no koinonia for us. But because he died, he created the koinonia that's out of this world, the sword and the stone that we have in this world that we cannot let be diluted or destroyed. We've got to fight for it. We have something unique and special. It's to look into your brother's eye, your sister's eye, and to see someone living, walking with Jesus. And there's a commonality in that. That's koinonia, and that's what he's created the church to do. Now, I want to give two quick applications, and then we're going to move into a time of testimony. You know, one of the ways that we could really fight for koinonia is to sacrifice for one another, especially in the assembly. And I really want to ask us to take a hard look at ourselves in the mirror and reconsider your church attendance. You know, I think we need to take a, a look at our hearts in this pandemic, at our heart together. The author of Hebrews says, let us not give up meeting together. Now that's different than let's definitely meet together. Do you see the difference? He's talking about the heart of meeting together, the heart that desires and thirsts to meet together. He says, let us not give up that heart. Let us not give up meeting together. Look, the, Hebrew, the book of Hebrews is written to a people who were persecuted and they couldn't meet all the time because there was great cost. But he says, but let us not give up. But let us not give up. You know, to the brothers and sisters who are worshiping online, I want to say and commend you for not coming to church. Some of you. Because some of you have family members who are at high risk to COVID-19. And some of you have people that you're living with and maybe you yourself are at high risk of COVID-19. And I commend you that out of love, you are refraining from meeting out of love for your family members. I know it's been a long season, but I want to commend you for not coming to church. But there are others of you who are not in that boat and who are staying home because it is easier, because it is comfortable. And I want to say to you, don't give up meeting with us. Don't give up on us. There's some of you who do need to come back because you're not staying home out of love for your family and for you and your health. You're staying home to stay away. Don't give up on us.
Don't give up meeting together. Remember the potency of our koinonia with one another, what we're supposed to have. Don't give up on us. But fight for the fellowship of believers that Jesus died for you to have. And lastly, I want to call all of us, in this season that um, Pastor Yosef and the community groups were all starting up again, I don't want to just call you to sign up. That's such a low bar. I want to call you, in light of today's passage, to fight for the koinonia of Jesus Christ. That in these groups that you fight to walk in the light together and to walk in the light. You see, John says, if you want to spend your life really in your heart valuing the things of this world and you want to walk in the darkness and then you want to come to small group and then you say, I have fellowship, but you're not really fighting to walk in the light and Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you're walking in the dark, and then you want to come to small group, and you say, but I have fellowship. He says, come on, you're lying. You don't have fellowship with us. Walk in the light with us. Walk in the light with us, and have true koinonia with us, and there will be intense joy. It won't be easy. There will be opposition, but walk in the light, and walk with us, and rediscover this koinonia. And if you do, it's not only going to be a great joy to you, but it's actually going to invite people in, heal people, embrace them, and other people will be added to our number and healed in our midst. Today we have a great testimony about that. And so I'm going to invite up Andrew and Monica up to the, up to the stage. And uh, let's welcome them up as they come. I've asked them to, to share um, their testimony of embrace. And if you're new to Mosaic, the three words that define what we're trying to do here, where are we rowing as a church, is we're rowing towards reach, embrace, disciple. To, to reach those who um, are not near Jesus, to embrace them in the gospel and to make disciples of them. And today, Andrew and Monica uh, have something to share about their journey um, to Mosaic. They came to Mosaic during the pandemic, and the Lord has made them members and done some great things in their life, and I think it's a great illustration of koinonia, of what God has done. And so, Andrew Monica, we're ready to hear it. Hi. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Andrew. This is Monica. Uh, she's my wife, and thank you so much for really, like, allowing us to uh, share a piece of our story with you today about our journey and finding and being embraced into the Mosaic family. Um, Monica's kind of nervous, so please empower her so that she's no longer nervous. Um, so, like, during our testimony, like, we'll, we'll each share a little bit about our individual stories uh, and our, into our, uh, prior to our marriage and how we ultimately came to finding church as a couple. So, uh, to begin with my story a little bit, uh, I grew up in a Catholic family in Korea, and I came to the States when I was 11 years old, actually, to Harrington Park. Um, that same year... My family was really encouraged to visit a local Presbyterian family, uh, Presbyterian church, uh, where we actually met God. Um, uh, early in my chi childhood, uh, I learned to serve the, the church through my parents and throughout high school and through college, um, through many drives back and forth, I served in my youth group at my home church, uh, primarily teaching Bible studies. So that was eight plus years of serving. 
Uh, looking back at the years that I served, uh, I realized that over time, I didn't really have the same yearning uh, for Christ, which led me to decide to step down from serving and take some time for healing and recover in my faith. So uh, conceptually, it sounded like a great idea and like a perfect plan. Get to visit different churches, get fed, and when I'm quote unquote ready again, I would find the right community and to serve and to give again. Well, uh, I think in the beginning, I really felt that it was, I was relieved because I didn't have those responsibilities. And I think I also felt really refreshed uh, being able to visit different churches and see how different churches um, worship. Um, but that didn't last very long. I think it was very temporary. Uh, looking back now, I can tell you that this was really when I started drifting away uh, from Christ. And for about three years, uh, I've become a Sunday Christian. And because I was still attending church, I kind of fooled myself in telling myself that I was still okay until uh, I met Monica and she really like encouraged me and that was kind of the next chapter for me. So unlike Andrew, I was born into a Christian family, um, specifically a pastoral family. And from a young age, the life of a PK was not always glamorous. <laughs> um, I learned to grow up quickly, and I developed multiple identities within the church, and sometimes those were ones that I had not initially chosen for myself. Uh, from being a daughter of a pastor to being someone's sister, um, and to being a role model for my peers at church, both young and old, um, I learned to navigate these roles using the definitions and expectations that others had given to me. A part of me had always felt that my life was viewed under a magnifying glass wherever I went, uh, where expecta these expectations were always high for my siblings and I, and I wasn't just viewed as a member of the church community, but rather someone who was responsible for taking care of the church and the people within it. Um, and this constantly just put a lot of pressure on me as a young girl just still navigating through who she was and trying to identify who, who she was becoming. And um, I always felt the need to be that perfect child for not only the church, but you know, the people that my family and I were serving at the time. As a PK, I also had to experience different kinds of church conflicts and disagreements within the community, oftentimes leading to political turmoil. Uh, this constant buildup affected my mental and spiritual walk with Christ, which led me to not wanting to be a part of the Korean American church community altogether. Um, despite all of these experiences, you know, throughout the years, I continuously served in the education department as a Sunday school teacher, and that has been just a constant blessing in my life to not only just challenge me, but to help me grow as an individual. When we first started dating, uh, we were both in a place where we were burnt out from serving, and we were seeking to figure out where our, our identities lay in Christ in the midst of just our individual seasons of drought. Our commonality of having the desire to take a step back from serving and being immersed as a congregational member was our very first step in this journey that we took towards um, finding Mosaic. So to talk about our journey a little bit, uh, as a couple, we had conviction to return back to Christ. And I think Monica really challenged me a lot uh, as we were dating and as we were also preparing 
uh, for marriage. For Monica, this was a time in her life when her parents had stepped down from her church, moved back to the West Coast, um, prompting her to find church on her own uh, for the first time. Uh, for me, I also struggled in my own ways, finding what direction that I needed to go into uh, to finding God again. Uh, our individual struggles and, and backgrounds led to different challenges as a couple and finding the right community in which we could take our next step together while planning for our future. Uh, we both wanted to rediscover our identities as daughter and son and uh, while also preparing our hearts for marriage and support of each other as we build our new family. So, uh, so for almost two and a half years, uh, we, looked into, we looked for a church community where we both felt embraced and could renew our relationship with the Lord. Uh, Monica wanted to find uh, her identity as God's precious daughter outside of being labeled as something else or someone else while being healed from the hurts from her past. And for me, I sought a community where I could meet and do life with people in similar seasons of life, of their lives, as I prepared to propose to her and also like start a family together, which as a, as a, as a newly husband could be a really big pressure, being able to find the right churches and, and the right community. Um, so I think we were always challenged for that. I was also, I felt pressured and challenged for that. So in the midst of us looking for a church, uh, pandemic started, yeah, so things didn't get easier. Uh, putting a halt in in-person services, so not only did we lose the opportunity to lose visit churches and have that full experience of what each different communities are like, um, but we also had to, uh, we also began to lose hope in getting plugged in. So one day, a, a close family member recommended Monica to look into Mosaic. And the new, season, uh, the new season where church was beginning to stream virtually, she decides, decided to give Mosaic a shot, and in the midst of losing hope that she would not be able to find the right church. Uh, Monica began to virtually attend church, uh, uh, church services, uh, on and off starting in January of this year. And every time she would listen uh, to messages, she would feel blessed through uh, all the other messages, uh, specifically like in the moment that she was in, uh, in her own journey. So feeling blessed, Monica encouraged me to actually start watching uh, some of Mosaic's worship services on Sundays. Uh, and although like we were both blessed in, in our own ways, uh, we couldn't help think that things, was, things were still missing because we were still Sunday Christians like, at the end of the day. So the, the fellowship that we had been yearning for during the pandemic was something that couldn't, we realized that couldn't be delivered through a computer screen. So we also noticed ourselves being lazy. Sunday, as we turned out and turned in, tuned into church, the more we found ourselves being comfortable in our own homes to listen to messages with only half ready hearts, um, the more we seemed to realize that was becoming a bigger problem. So, in a time where I thought that was going into church was not an option, Monica actually urged me to go to church with her as we desperately needed God. Um, and prior to attending our first service, uh, we both didn't have that many expectations because of the different previous experiences that we've had um, that we had to go through in finding a church community. At this time, it was a, it's, it's just, we just happened to visit a church in the pandemic. Um, our one prayer topic was to find church community where we could both meet God in our individual walks while 
growing in fellowship with our brothers and sisters, and ultimately come together as a couple to create a God-centered family. So fast forward to April of this year, um, we finally made the big decision to attend in-person worship service here at Mosaic. Um, not only for the first time, but the first time even going to a church building in over a year since the pandemic started. Um, as a newcomer to any church, there was always this fear and nervousness in our hearts of whether this church would be a match for us as a couple. You know, it's hard enough to try and find a church for yourself, but also, you know, as a couple that's looking into marriage, um, trying to find a church community that fits for the both of us. And so, um, however, when we visited Mosaic, we were immediately greeted by members of uh, the church and its pastoral staff. And in a moment where we felt that it would be awkward as a newcomer to come into church, uh, Mosaic was just so quick to embrace us regardless of who we were and where we came from. Um, we were encouraged to believe that it was okay to come to a place called church just as we are, um, despite just our imperfections that we carried with us. As a result, on our drive back home from our first in-person worship service, uh, we felt eager to want more and discussed coming back in the following weeks. Um, those weeks quickly led us to becoming members of Mosaic, uh, where God placed a vision in our hearts of what it would look like to grow in this community. Um, when we reflect back on this, our first experiences here at Mosaic, uh, three words typically come to mind. Um, intentionality, authenticity, and generosity. Our most memorable moments in having experienced this form of embrace, uh, form of embrace and fellowship was during our first outdoor service uh, this past June. Uh, when it comes to fitting into a community, we typically expect things to happen organically, but in reality, the reality is that some, someone has to initiate and have the intention to make it happen. A simple invitation to sit with a group of members we had not yet met was such a big blessing and encouragement to us in being welcomed and accepted into Mosaic's church family. And we think that this was all possible because of the genuine and authentic approach of how we were invited by the church members, and um, in addition to our hearts being ready to become embraced and engage in fellowship. Uh, the genuine welcome was also seen by Mosaic's pastoral team as simple as a hello and how are you every Sunday prior to beginning worship made us feel at home and brought us comfort in a time when we were healing. Our journey to finding Mosaic may have been long, but we believe that God had a specific timing and place for us um, when our hearts were ready to receive, heal, and grow together. We think that this is where God truly showed us that perseverance in our church-finding journey. Um, even as we were beginning to lose hope, God placed specific people in our lives to challenge and pray for us so that we may continuously be guided and encouraged to not give up. Since becoming members of Mosaic, uh, we feel as though we are getting closer to the Lord through worship and fellowship. Um, our relationship as a couple has also uh, grown spiritually, and God has continued to show his love through many blessings and progressively heal us. Uh, this is such an exciting time for us as newlyweds as well, um, as we feel empowered and intentional ourselves in becoming part of the church uh, through small groups and the many different ministries that Mosaic has to offer. Uh, we look forward to discovering how God might use us in our new chapter of our lives, and uh, we just continue to ask Mosaic family to pray for us as we navigate through this journey and just not only... Uh, 
finding ourselves as individuals, but figuring out you know, who we are as the Che family and ultimately when we do start expanding our family as well. So thank you. <laughs> you guys. Um, it's just a story of embrace. Um, it may seem like an or ordinary um, story of one couple coming to church, but what we do from here in terms of fellowship, are we going to pursue koinonia with Monica and Andrew and those who are new here, or will we just become acquaintances in this building? That's up to us. Will we see and discover and reclaim who we are as a church, pursue Christ together, and fight for it? My brothers and sisters, this is what he's called us to do, and I encourage you uh, to that, because for that, um, he gave his life. Let's go to him in prayer together, and let's respond in our hearts to God. And I just ask you to take some time and be honest with God about where you've been. Have you lost completely your vision of koinonia? forgot how beautiful and special it is. We are the sword and the stone community. You forgot what you're supposed to be called to in this church. If that's you, brothers and sisters, go to God, his gracious son, Jesus Christ. He'll invite you back in. He says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. And if you open, I'll eat with you an invitation to koinonia, an invitation to community. He says, if you open up, I'll, I'll eat with you. I'll bring you in. My brothers and sisters, let's go to our, our Lord and reclaim who we are as a church. this world is looking for koinonia it has been for hundreds and hundreds of years it's been written about dreamed about, tried and yet in the church we have this unique ability by your son Jesus Christ his grace and mercy for us to be a community of light to this world Father forgive us if we've abandoned that if we've given up on that as the author of Hebrews says forgive us O God and I pray, help us to reclaim the beauty and the strength and the power of what you have called us to be as a church. I pray that you would make us a church together, seeking unity, fellowship, koinonia, by the grace of Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray.